I was sharing with somebody just yesterday. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter number 21. Uh, we was talking about forgiveness. And uh, I was telling that person about the life that the Lord brought me out of and where the Lord brought me from. And I told that story. Most of y'all have heard it. Maybe a few of you in here hadn't. I'm going to keep sharing that thing till the day the Lord calls me home about, uh, you know, as a young man and having that friend and I was leading that friend astray and the day his mom came to me and, and told me, um, she said, Keith, you're nothing but white trash and that's all you'll ever be. Stay away from my son. And I, I tell that story and then, of course, tell, you know, about going on into the into the Marine Corps and um, <laughs> praise God through what some people might call circumstance. I call the divine sovereignty of a holy God that was drawing me. I had a choice between cleaning the barracks and going to a worship service. Well, this old boy was lazy and I didn't want to clean no more. So I got up and I went. <laughs> Just to get out of cleaning barracks. And there's a preacher there that opened the Bible to Luke chapter number 16. And he preached about a rich man who had everything but he lacked what he really needed. And about a poor man who had nothing but he had all that he would ever need. And in that I saw myself a sinner standing before a holy God. I was convicted. Listen, I'm not one of them good little church boys that was raised up under a mom and a daddy that brought him to church and taught him right for wrong. No, I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I was a, a, the worst of the worst and I needed grace and I needed in abundance and that's what God showed me and gave me. I didn't pray no immaculate or no big worded or long winded prayer I simply went down and I said God here I am if you'll have me and he took me and the Bible says I've already said it once today and the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying worldliness and ungodly lust see I didn't know any of that but the grace of God taught me that that to not deny worldliness and ungodly lust we should live soberly I hadn't done too good a job of that righteously and godly in this, in this present age. And then he goes on and says, looking for that hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us, that God might secure unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And that's exactly what happened. He came into my life, but he didn't just come into my life, Jim. He changed my life. I was going that way. And then all of a sudden, I was going that way, Shane Rose will tell you, she just went to a pastor's conference just the other night and she was talking to those other pastor's wife and she said, Keith Rose was the terror of the community. <laughs> Listen, the law come to my house looking for me because I was throwing rocks at people's cars by the time I was 10 years old. I don't say that because I'm bragging. I'm saying that speaking of the grace of God that he can take the worst of the worst and turn them around. And listen, I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget that day. <laughs> if you can forget it, it's probably because you ain't got it. So the Lord saved me and changed me. And instead of going out to the bars and drinking, I was going and telling people about Jesus. Now, he's, He'd save I'm just an anybody telling everybody about a somebody that'll save anybody. <laughs> Well, I get out of the Marine Corps and I get back home and me and Shane, we're going to church and I'm going out telling people how Jesus loves them and he'll change their life. And 
we're sitting at home one night and the phone rings and it's that same woman from years ago. A lot of things have changed but then that was shame. And she said, Keith, I heard what God's done in your life. And said, I want to tell you a little bit about my son. She said, he's running around on his wife. He's walked out on her and they got a little one-year-old baby and he's walked out on her. Now you listen to this. This is what that change they were talking about. This same woman who had said, Keith, you're nothing but white trash and that's all you'll ever be. And without Jesus, she was 100% right. But this same woman that had said that to me, over the, well, first she asked me if I'd forgive her and I said, yes, ma'am, I forgave you a long time ago because Jesus forgave me. But then, a quote, she said, Keith, for God's sake, will you go talk to my son? That's the power of God and how the Lord comes, the Holy Spirit of God swoops in and changes a person. I don't ever want to forget that throughout all eternity. Now, my story may be different than your story. But if you're a child of God here this morning, you've got a story. Share that thing. You don't have to go invite people to church. Sure do that. You don't even have to share the gospel. We want you to do that. But if you'll simply say, this is what Jesus done for me, I'm telling you, it'll have a profound impact on the lives of others like you couldn't believe. There's somebody out there that needs to hear your story share that thing. Don't ever forget. I can't ever forget mine because I tell that thing everywhere I go. <laughs> Every chance I get. Revelation chapter number 21. Y'all know there's a popular song out right now. Uh, they've even made a movie out of it called I Can Only Imagine. Uh, we started in the book of Genesis some time ago. We're about halfway through now. But in that book we learned about the fall of man. Uh, sin come into the world. Ever since then, man has been born a sinner. Y'all know that story. Uh, I've tried to show you, you the people of God, and, and, and get the people of God to see the big picture story that since that time, God has been working to redeem a people of, unto himself, to mend those broken fences, to bring those broken relationships back uh, together. Of course, that culminated in that what we just celebrated. We preached on the crucifixion of Christ. and We looked at those seven sayings on the cross and how each one of those sayings of Jesus while he was on the cross carries with it a lot of meaning and most of them were fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at the resurrection and what a Sunday it was. Two people gave their hearts to the Lord. Praise God, the singing I mean, when, uh, when Lori was up here singing that song, I thought I'd done died and gone to heaven. I can imagine that must be what heaven's going to be like. Uh, well, this week I want to carry that just a little further. Because ultimately, that plan of redemption does not end with mine and your salvation. 
ultimately that plan of redemption ends with us in heaven with a perfect body spending eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ as he sits on the throne and we worship him forever. Now the words of that song, I can only imagine, go something like this. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I believe that's the most popular Christian song, most selling, whatever, Christian song of all time. Of course, now they've made a movie about it. And it's a wonderful song. But I want to tell you something this morning. We don't just have to use our imaginations. There's some things that I can only imagine, but there's a whole lot about heaven that I don't have to imagine. He tells me about what that place is going to be like. I want to look at those this morning. Revelation chapter number one, beginning, or chapter 21, beginning at verse number one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, the church. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of the dwelling place the tent of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away and he that sat upon the throne said behold I make all things new And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name as we have read your word, God, as we think on that thought this morning, I can only imagine. Father, I pray that you'd help each of our minds step out of this time side of eternity. and Get a glimpse of your side and what it's going to be like. And Father, in that I pray it would challenge us, motivate us, encourage us. Lord, not just to live like we're citizens of heaven on this side, but look forward. And try to bring as many with us as possible. Because ultimately heaven is going to be our home. If we know you in Jesus name. Amen. There's no way today in the short amount of time that I have that I would be able to tell you what all the Bible says about heaven. Uh, As a matter of fact, there's no way. Listen, I got that old hillbilly mountain accent. There ain't no way this old crazy tongue would be able to do it even if I had all day to do it. But what we're going to try to do this morning is look and see a little bit, some insights from the Word of God that will bring us hope and challenge us about heaven. 
You see, as much as I love that song, I don't have to just imagine. The Bible tells me a few things. Let's look at them this morning. Number one, the first thing I'd like for you to notice about as we look at the Word of God about heaven is that it is a place. Chapter number 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now, when we say that, there's two difficulties that arise. The first is when we're trying to define it. Uh, we're talking about something infinite and, and removed from the world in which you and I live in. And it's hard to come up with definitions about what that means. Trying to describe something that we've never seen or trying to describe something that we've never really been a part of. So it's difficult to do that. But the se second difficulty is trying to correlate what we know about this world, the world that we live in, uh, with heaven. I mean, how can a person whose heart is here also be there? Uh, how can we understand something that is there but yet still here? And that's very difficult. And even the language of the Bible, as John writes Revelation here, uh, is taxed to try to come up with or think of words to describe that wonderful place. But I do know this. The word heaven is used over 500 times in the Word of God, so it must be important. And it's important for us to know as much as we can know. And I believe the Lord wants us to pay attention about it. So the first thing we notice is that it's a place, even though it's a difficult to describe place. But not only is it a place, it's a real place. Look what he says right here in chapter, uh, verse number 2. And I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for uh, her as a husband. It's not just a place, but it's a real place. It's not some figment of our imagination. Get this thing out of your head if you picture heaven as some place where people are floating around on clouds. It's going to be a real place. It's going to have a real name. It's going to have real earth and real substance. And John even names it there, New Jerusalem. Jesus is preparing not some something out there, but a, uh, but a real place. As a matter of fact, he says in John chapter 14 that he's going to prepare a place for us. But not only is heaven a place, it's a real place, but it's a distinct place. It has a location. I don't know exactly where that is. John here says it's coming down out of heaven. It's called New Jerusalem. It's a holy city. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where that is, except that it's some place in the universe. Now, I have a hard time with these scientists today that deny the possibility of heaven. Not long ago, as a matter of fact, one of the foremost physicists in the world passed away. And this foremost physicist in the world, along with a bunch of his contemporaries, somebody's glasses is laying here in the middle of the oh, I better get them things up. I get excited in a minute and start, I'll step on them things. Uh, said that the possibility of the existence of heaven was not, was not possible. But this same scientist said that there must be both infinite and alternate alternate universes to the one that we live in. What? I'm just a dumb old country boy, but that don't make sense. The possibility that heaven exists is not. But it must be possible for there be, to be both 
infinite, an infinite number and alternate universes to the one in which we live. Well, if there's another universe, maybe God decided to put heaven in one of them. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost impossible for me to understand how I'm standing here in front of you today. God didn't ask me to understand it. He just said that it's a distinct place, it's a real place, and it is a place that's a part of this marvelous universe that He created. It's called the city of God. It's called the throne room. It's called the dwelling place of God. It's called the place where those who are in Christ shall abide in Him forever. It's called the Father's house. It's called the perfect city. Now, all of us have lived and been to cities. I went to New York City a few times. I couldn't wait to get out of that place. (laughs) I ain't been to one that's perfect yet. I like Morganton pretty good, but it's got its problems. But this place that's a distinct place, a real place... The Bible says that it is perfect and Jesus said that I've gone to prepare a place for you. Some people said, well, is it going to be big enough? Going to fit all the believers throughout all time? Well, I I don't know how many believers that may be, but if you look down in verse number 16, the Bible says in the city lie four square. I mean, it's a square, a cube. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Now, preacher, how big is that? Well, that means it's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles long. And if you do all that math about how much area is in that thing, that means that there's one trillion, considering that each floor of it is around 20 feet high, that means that there's one trillion... 188 billion square miles of floor space in that place called heaven. I believe it's enough to fit all of us. As a matter of fact, scientists have estimated that since God created Adam and Eve in the garden, though they deny the existence of that happened, but since man's walked on this earth, that there's been approximately 30 billion people in existence. Well, the Bible, we know that story that we often forget a lot of times we don't like to talk about. Jesus said most people ain't going to make it to heaven. But let's say all 30 billion people made it to heaven. If all 30 billion people that ever existed made it to that heaven that has 1,188,000,000,000 square feet of floor space, that means every single person that's there is going to have roughly 40 square miles. Well, listen, I ain't even had my, got my 40 acres yet. I'll be perfectly happy with 40 square miles of floor space. Space. Amen. It's going to be big enough for all of us. And it's going to be grand when we get there because not only is it a place, it's a real place, it's a distinct place, but the Bible says it's a beautiful place. Look what it says here in verse number 18. And the building of the walls of jasper, the city's pure gold, it's like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, jasper, sapphire. I can't even name all them other rocks and precious stones that it's made out of. But look what it says in verse number 22. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Not only is it a real place, but listen, my friends, we can rejoice this morning. I love looking up there and seeing, matter of fact, last uh, Monday, me and Madison went on a hike 
and we got right up there at the top of Hawksville, and I'm going to tell you what, you could see Lake James, you could see Short Off, you could see Table Rock, you could look the other way and see Grandfather Mountain and Sugar Mountain, and I'm going to tell you that thing was pretty when we looked at that, but it ain't nothing to what God's got in store for us. Not only is it real, but He's making that thing so that when you arrive, it's going to be well decorated and it's going to be pretty. <laughs> Amen? We can look forward to getting there. It's a beautiful place. Every time we discover something out in space, we say, man, that's beautiful. Man, that's marvelous. And I'm going to tell you something, that's just a little bit of what God has in store for us in that place called heaven. But not only is it a beautiful place, it's a place of personal occupation. The question we ask is, what am I going to do forever and ever there in heaven? I heard the story about the little boy asking his daddy about going to heaven. And daddy said, yeah, we're going to go to heaven. He said, well, daddy, what are we going to do? And daddy said, well, son, I don't really know everything we're going to do. He said, well, I'm just trying to figure out because I don't want to get bored. Well, that's a perfectly legitimate question for a little boy uh, to ask. What am I going to do? Well, number one, we're going to worship. Look what it says right there in verse number three. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. One of the distinct qualities to be a God is that God must be worshipped. And if He's going to be our God, it means that we're going to worship Him. Not only that, you look over to verse number 22. Verse number 22. Look what it says. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. What was the temple used for? Why did they build a temple? Why is God replacing the temple made with hands with Himself? Because you go to the temple to worship Him. And there's going to be worship in heaven. That's the work that God's given us to do over and over in the book of Revelation. It says we're going to praise the Lord with songs. And they will sing the song of Moses. We're going to praise Him in song. And then maybe I'll be, even me can sing good when we get over there. I don't know. But one thing I do know, we're going to worship Him. We're going to bow before Him. We're going to be in His presence. We're going to love every single minute of it for all eternity. But not only are we going to worship, we're going to work. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 25. I know the idea of working in heaven seems foreign to people. <laughs> in the day we're living in, the idea of working on earth seems foreign to a lot of people. But the Bible says we're going to have a job to do. We're going to work when we get to heaven. Matthew chapter number 25. Verse number 23, His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. We're going to have a job, and those that have been faithful on this side, he's going to give us more responsibility over on the other side. And, and in that, we're going to have things to do that bring glory and honor. The idea of God being a worker starts all the way back over there in the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, when God spoke the universe into existence. God is the perfect and eternal worker. He didn't create the universe and then retire. He's been at work ever since in the universe that He created. Jesus said, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to finish the work that he gave me to do. So we'll have work to do in heaven. We'll worship forever. We'll work forever. Not by the sweat and the toil that the curse is done away with. It'll be fulfilling and enriching. And those people that wouldn't work in a pie factory today for $25 an hour and rather the public keep them up, if they're a Christian, when they get to heaven, they're going to enjoy working. Praise God. Amen. But we're going to have work to do when we get there. It's a place of personal occupation. Not only is it a place of personal occupation, it's a place of perfect fellowship. Look what the Bible says there in chapter number 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor shall there be any more pain. A place of personal fellowship. Those things that break fellowship on this side will be done away with. Death separates, does it not? There's people right here today under the sound of my voice. And I'm well aware that I've stood over the casket of somebody that you love very, very, very dearly. Tried to honor them and honor the Lord that saved them. I believe this passage of Scripture here teaches us that the day is coming the day is coming when those things that pain, those tears, that heartache those things that break fellowship are going to be done away with and that grandma, that husband, that son that daughter, that wife that friend, listen those things that separated you will be no more and we're going to be over there with them forever and ever and ever. And those tears that you shed, though we don't understand them on this side of eternity, they'll be done away with. And when you see them again, they're going to be replaced by big old fat. I can't get you to smile in here for hardly nothing. But I promise you, if you get there, you're going to smile. You're going to laugh. I think we'll be like Peter. What's he been drinking? I ain't drinking nothing. I'm just having a good time. (laughs) Filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard me tell the story about my papa and how I loved him. My papa was a hero to me. One of these days, I'm going to see him again. That's what heaven is. It's a place of perfect fellowship where death has no more dominion, uh, where it can't separate anymore. But not just death, sin won't separate. You ever been betrayed? There'll be no betrayal over there. We'll be, this flesh will be done away with and we'll be given a perfect body. And listen, I don't have to worry about the temptation to betray you and I don't have to worry about you betraying me over there. All those things. We'll have fellowship with new friends. Can you imagine? Now, everybody, you've heard me. I love the Apostle Paul. And uh, I, I, literally, I, Paul changed the world uh, with his preaching and teaching and all of that. Just getting to sit down and talk to him and saying, Paul, what was it like when you was crossing over those mountains, going over there into Galatia where the barbarians lived? And you know, the Roman, uh, the Roman protection over there was a little bit sketchy because that was on the frontier, the borders of the Roman Empire. And you was crossing them mountains, Paul, and you looked down there and you saw them, you saw Iconium down there and all those little cities that you, 
oh, what was running through your mind? When, and you know what? He'll tell us. Imagine what we're going to meet new friends. There's believers somewhere today in China that I've never met, but I'm going to get to meet them over there. You ever been went out somewhere and you met a person? I've got to hurry, I know, but you met somebody and wasn't just a second you got to talking to them and both of you soon come to realize that one's a believer and the other's a believer. And just all of a sudden, out of the blue, you've got this kinship, you've got something in common, and that something draws you together. And there'd be somebody over here listening to you and they say, believe them two brothers and sisters in Christ and then next thing you know they've joined into the conversation and now you've got three believers hey listen you times that by a gazillion that's what it's going to be like in heaven a whole bunch of believers not encumbered and weighted down by the weight of sin perfectly fellowshipping with each other all new acquaintances not only that all them old ones are going to be there as well if they're believers in Christ I believe Revelation, uh, i got to look at it. I can't remember what chapter it was now. Uh, Revelation chapter number 7, verse 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man can number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Uh, not only that, when we get there, those... Relationships. I got to stop. I ain't gonna get finished today. I should know better to even try. That's too big a subject to try to get to. I'll tell you this one story, and I'm gonna tell you what. If this don't blow your mind, wow. Me and Shane used to know this little girl. Her name was Mandy Baldwin, and little Mandy was born with Down syndrome, and uh, just the sweetest little girl. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. She was now. When I say little girl, she was by the. She was grown by then. Yeah, she's close to mine and Shane's age. But she rode this little bus, and they'd take her to like a little school that she went to when she was an adult. Well, she'd got in trouble for trying to kiss a little boy on the bus. <laughs> and uh, anyway, Shane was talking to her, and Shane said, "Now, Mandy, you got to obey the rules. You can't be getting in trouble on the bus." And she looked at Shane, and she said. Shane, I just can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help it. <laughs> and my, Shane looked at her and never missed a beat. And she said, Mandy, you've got to help it. You've got to help it. You've got to help it. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, this little girl would get up in front of the church. And most time you couldn't understand what she was saying. Uh, and she'd get up in front of that church. And her daddy had had to get up there with her. And he'd stand beside her. Don't you turn this microphone on. And... She'd get that little microphone and she'd hold that thing. Now listen, church, you listen to this. You pay attention to this. She'd get that microphone and she'd begin to sing, Did I love me? Did I know? And I'm going to tell you what, it wasn't long before the top of that church had started shaking and the walls had start quivering and the Holy Spirit of God had start moving in that place. And I'm going to tell you what, if you could have stayed in your seat, if you could have stayed in your seat when that little girl who was born with what we would look at as being defections or what we would look at as being shortcomings, get up there and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you could have stayed in your seat while she is doing that, you probably need to get born again. But I'm 
want to tell you something. We're going to have perfect fellowship in heaven. That little girl that would say, Shane, I can't have it. I can't have it. That little girl that said, Did I love me? Did I know? She's going to be talking perfectly. She's going to be walking perfectly. That mind's going to be thinking perfectly. So all the defections and all the deformities that are caused by all the sin in all the world is going to be done away with. And everything that we saw through this glass stained darkly as 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us is going to be made clear in Christ and we're going to have for the first time in our existence perfect fellowship. Not only with others but with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That ought to cause you woo, to stand up and praise God today. Amen. I better quit. I'll have to finish this thing. A place of perfect fellowship. i, I got to say this. I, what's that, Tommy? <laughs> I want to say this because I, I wouldn't feel right if I closed. It's a point later on. We'll get to it, but I want to tell you this. We got them other points later and we'll get to them next week. I'm going to hit this point again next week. Actually, it's my last point. It's a place. It's a real place. It's a distinct place. It's a place of perfect fellowship. It is. But I want to tell you something. It's an exclusive place. The Bible says in verse number 8, but the fearful, the cowardly, those too afraid to step out in faith, the unbelieving and the abominable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, heaven's a wonderful place. But you can't get there unless your name's been written down on the guest book. Revelation tells us what that is. It's called the book of life. You ever been to one of them exclusive clubs? I'd love to go to the Masters. The only problem is I ain't got enough money to let me in. <laughs> I can't go in unless my name's written on the guest book. We can't get to heaven unless our name's in the guest book. The good news is, unlike the Masters, it don't take money to get there. As a matter of fact, your fare has already been paid. All you simply have to do is receive that gift, take that ticket, and one of these days, God's going to get you there. <laughs> Amen? So if you're here this morning, your fare's been paid, the banquet's set. I told Dakota's girlfriend's down there, she's working at a chef as a chef for the last couple of weeks at the Masters, and boy, she's a cook. And she makes them pretty little pastries and all that, but she ain't never made nothing like it's going to be up there waiting on us when we get there. The table's set. Your room's been made. A mansion. Why wouldn't you get on that train that's going there? If you're here this morning and you don't know if there's any doubt whatsoever that heaven's going to be your home, Pastor Stephen, you come on up here. 
to the front. If you don't care, I'll let you get back in time, I promise you. Uh, you, uh, you come on down and get that thing settled this morning. I'm going to tell you what, the, the, the altar's open. If you just want to come down and praise God and say, Lord, thank you that heaven's going to be my home one day, you come on. Whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you, the Bible says if you'll simply confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, that saved is a little word that means a whole lot, but part of that means He's going to get you to heaven. Your ticket's been paid. And you're on your way. You stand. Whatever the Lord speaks to you, you come this morning. Don't you wait. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. Don't let that old liar and deceiver tell you you need to wait. That's one of the biggest lies that he's ever had. I'll do it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow may never come. Today is the day of salvation. Whatever you need to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we're just so grateful today that our way to heaven has been bought and paid for. All we've got to do is receive the ticket for the ride. God, we're grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.